let's begin. We are about to begin our webinar. Welcome to the PID webinar, our fourth webinar on aid. Um, can you see the screen? Hello? No, sir. Please share it again, sir. Share it again. Okay, lovely. I'll do it again. There's something wrong. Share screen. Am I getting it wrong? Can we see it now? Could you mention some of the screen? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, folks. Welcome to PID webinar. This is the fourth in our series of foreign aid. As many of you know, we are trying our best to understand all subjects related to Pakistan. We are trying to expand our conversation. I think we have been too uh, timid in trying to understand economy. So we are taking charge at the PID and trying to extend our conversation. So we don't have one webinar anymore. We have a number of webinars. So in this webinar, please, as usual, mute your mics, let the speaker speak, and you will inshallah have a chance to um, voice your thoughts later. In this webinar, I'm especially grateful to Hinara Bani Khar, who is one of our most capable young politicians. I don't think there's anybody in Pakistan doesn't know her. She has been both the Minister for Economic Affairs as well as the Foreign Minister. Today, we are going to ask her to talk to us in a capacity as a former Minister for Economic Affairs. So welcome, Minister. Well, we are going to speak to Hira Rabani Khar, who, as I said, is even, even now she's a current MNA, and I must compliment her for taking her time out to join us. And with that, I will also lament, as my usual lament, that politicians and bureaucrats refuse to join in a conversation with us. So when people say a conversation, I feel a little concerned as to why the conversation is one-sided. But Madam Minister, we are very grateful to you for joining us and answering our questions. I'm sure we learn a lot from you. We have had three webinars before you, Madam. We deliberately try and hold academic webinars before we invite personalities like yourself to come and join us. We will tell you about those webinars. We will tell you we've had speakers who have done their dissertations on aid. We have um, had a lady from Oxford, Masuda Bano, a professor who's done a, a book on aid. So we have tried to inform ourselves for the subject before approaching you. We'll get to that. But let me quickly point out why we do this. Our long-term growth rate minister is coming down. We have had a volatile growth path. And this is something that every citizen in Pakistan should be concerned about. A declining growth path in, a, in the face of a very young rising population is a cocktail for disaster. But there it is. Related to this is the issue of our investment rate. Our investment rate seems to be declining even as it is very low. We are almost down to 12 or 13% of investment, which is like replacement rate, which means we are really not investing in our society. The story begins, we've been doing a lot of webinars, etc., to learn about the economy. And we have found out that the failing in the economy is not that we don't have money. It's that we don't have policy. It's that we have policy inconsistency. It's that we've got poor policy development. It's that we are chasing taxes like the sheriff of Nottingham was chasing taxes. And those who are familiar with the history, Nottingham didn't grow, Nottingham declined. Transactions costs are huge in our economy. We have no human resource management. We are throwing our best people out of the country. We tell them to leave the country. 
We have no markets. We are overregulated everywhere. We've just done a paper on the footprint of the government, and it turns out to be 70 or 80 percent, which is huge. Energy remains a governance problem, which despite four or five government changes, we still haven't solved. Energy is a problem of the ministry trying to run energy from its back pocket. No energy system can be run from the back pocket of any ministry, whether the secretary or the minister, whoever. Our cities are just not capable of investment. So there are a number of things. Now let's come to the subject, Minister. What we've seen is that we are so independent that we can call ourselves unindependent, that we are not independent. All these things that you see before you, the unbundling of WAPTA, the NEPRA Act, the CCP Act, the TARP, the CSR civil service reform of the 2005-06 public finance management law that has recently been written, SAPs and NGOs, the mortgage law, yeah. the Exim Bank, everything has been written, has been written or done by the donors. The Pakistan Institute of Corporate Governance set up by the donors. I wonder, do the parliamentarians even read these laws? Does EAD even know that the donors are doing this? So that's a point of departure that I'd like you to take into account. This is something that we show every webinar. This is the slide of IMF programs. There hasn't been a decade in our history where we haven't had an IMF program. Now, full disclosure, I used to be a member of the IMF, but I reserve the right to criticize the fact that we are permanently in the emergency ward and that we have shown this deep inability to think our way out of the IMF. That is like huge incapacity. So here is a cartoon from the newspapers that sums it up beautifully. The fat man of the IMF in the chariot, running our government, which is running helter-skelter in a crisis mode. Madam, you were in the government, you know, we are always in a crisis mode. And the loans are dangling in front of us, and we don't even see the craggy landscape, we are running over it. So there is a huge problem. But then, this is a recent cartoon, but look at the old cartoon from 1950. Our forefathers understood. There's Lakatali on crutches, dollar crutches, mind you. And there are two bankers standing there and saying, keep them on the dole, keep them on the dole. They'll remain where they are. And sure enough, they have been proven correct. We haven't. So our questions to you to begin with are very simple. What is this extensive role of aid? Madam, you managed the donors for a while. Is this the new paternalism? Is this a new colonialism? What is happening? I can tell you from our side, they're killing our universities. Because quite frankly, they do all the work for the government, we do nothing. Our talent is running away to them all the time, and I don't know how it's utilized. Our thought industry is dead, because their firms like Chemonix, Adam Smith International, Oxford Palace Man Policy Management, etc., run our government. And they're not the best out there. So what do we learn? And they also are so arrogant, they don't show up at our webinars. I wonder if there are any donors here today. I'd be surprised if there are, right? So I want to ask you, Madam, is our aid, is aid helping us? The Missy Mayo wrote a okay. very good book. No, you... okay. And I want to leave you with this picture, Madam, so you can answer. A begging bowl picture. Please, go ahead. Floor is yours. Okay, thank right. you and thank you for uh, putting some of the details over there because I think it's very important to have an informed discussion. Uh, not that this needs to be very informed because I think over here 
things are quite black and white. You know, when it comes to uh, whether assistance, donor assistance, donor money has been useful for Pakistan's purposes or not, I think the answer is an overwhelming no. Uh, and the reason for that is that uh, the recipient country, Pakistan being one of them, has little or no control on the quality, you know, you may want higher quantity, but on the quality of assistance that comes. And as you know, Nadeem, very, very well, you know, donor assistance, we like to call it donor assistance, this is a euphemism, right? But there, it's in all types of categories. There are some very expensive loans, there are some not so expensive loans, and there's some grant assistance. And we tend to believe that anything that is coming in grant assistance is free money and we must be able to utilize it, you know, according to the, whatever the donors want. And really not care because it's free money in any case. But what that does is that it actually uh, eats into your government's mechanisms. And, uh, the donor system becomes a parallel universe with which your own system has to survive. And because the donor system is always more well-fed and more uh, efficient in some ways, efficient in being able to get the resources, uh, so your system actually suffers. So uh, instead of empowering the system, uh, the donor money actually disempowers it and makes it less efficient, the system, as in the Pakistan government system. Now this is, you know, we can go in as much detail as you want, but let me give you the broad, broad brush picture um, from what I have seen. As you know, for seven years, I tried to work very hard on trying to get a bit of an aid assistance reform in Pakistan. And I have to say, whereas I'm very proud of the time I spent in the foreign office because I do believe I was able to achieve much more, here I probably worked harder but was really have nothing to show for the work that I did. Because this entire aid architecture is first of all, you know, governed by authorities which do not sit in Pakistan, okay? So the congressman in the US, uh, the parliament in the UK, uh, you know, the party in China, etc., will all determine where and how much aid goes into Pakistan. Now, it's a terrible place for any country to be an aid-dependent country. And I genuinely believe that in terms of money, we are not as aid-dependent as we are in terms of our mental uh, dependence. On aid. We are, of course, needing IMF assistance, you know, because of our balance of payment crisis emerging every now and then, and some balance of payment support from the World Bank and ADB, again, to look at crisis modes. But all of this project assistance that comes into Pakistan has actually done more damage because it has always built parallel universes. And the biggest crying example of that is what has happened to the energy sector. I think our energy sector back in the 60s and 70s was a pretty decent one. I mean, people tell you stories about the World Bank people coming in, uh, wanting to learn from our WAPTA people. And then you see where it is right now because they've been half-baked, half sort of understood reforms which have been fully owned but never really implemented. And what is even more tragic is that the governance failures within the bureaucracy of Pakistan is just becomes very, very magnified when it comes to how we take donor assistance. Now, let me give you an example. The executing agency is always an agency which is other than the Economic Affairs Division. The Economic Affairs Division happens to be, at the end of the day, just a post office type of an authority, which is there once it gets a request from the donors or from the executing agency, whether it's the health ministry or the education ministry or anyone, it, is, it just conveys those requests. And many a times, you, uh, you know, the finance ministry is so desperate for money that it will, frankly speaking, sign on to anything. Uh, things that they know are virtually impossible to meet, any type of conditionalities. And there you have bound your countries to conditionality or to a set of conditionalities that you know you're never going to meet. 
So what happens is that you have this huge exorbitant cost of money which has been allocated to Pakistan in the case of, for instance, Asian Development Bank and World Bank, which is never really utilized. So you incur that cost. And then, of course, the projects which are never really, uh, you know, fit into the fabric of society or the country or the ministry and just go uh, unattended most of the time and uh, are spent, the money is spent very, very inefficiently. So this entire system is, is, is at so many different levels because at the global level, it's at the country, give it country level, it's at the recipient country level. And pretty much everybody, there are people and institutions within each of those places which are benefiting from this, you know, broken system, which are which very, very petty benefits, right? And for the sake of those petty benefits, large, large losses will be incurred. I genuinely believe that donor money in Pakistan has damaged Pakistan's governance structure much more uh, than we, any one of us realize. And as someone who tried to work on donor aid fragmentation and harmonization of aid very, very uh, strictly and taking on some very important countries, I can tell you they have no intention of changing this. And it's not likely to change. So as a recipient country, you have the choice to say thanks, but no thanks. Will Pakistan ever have the guts to do it? Uh, on, you know, grant assistance, assistance whatever, for, for instance, which doesn't really make a difference to your budgetary, you know, big ticket items. No, we will never have the ability to do it. Because too many Thank people are flying. That's a fascinating take. You've set it up front that it's been negative for us, and I accept that. That's beautiful. Let me draw you your attention to something that Veli Nasser quotes in his book. Um, the uh, what is it called? The indispensable nation. He quotes your conversation with Holbrook, which you might recall. Yes. Where he said that where he says that Holbrook told you that he himself was aware of how the contractors took most of the money back and that the recipient government got little. We had a webinar with one young student who did a thesis in Australia. And he told us that of the Kerry Luger money, roughly 75% was taken back. Mm -hmm. Now, does EAD know what's happening? Is, does EAD understand what the contractors are? Does EAD monitor the contractors? Or do the donors do whatever they like? Because the other book, for example, when we look at the 9-11 incident, there's talk of the, of the donor money being used for nefarious purposes. So who's monitoring the donors? Uh, frankly speaking, no one. The right and the easy answer is no one. Okay, Because there are gaps. So while EAD is the contracting agency or the signing authority, EAD mm -hmm. has no clue as to what projects execution, implementation, demand, supply is, right? So they will basically typically agree to anything that the donors are proposing and the donors will go and uh, negotiate that with the executing agency, which would be one of the ministries. The ministries feel that this is free money, even if it is loan money, by the way. They feel this is free money because it is coming other than their normal budgetary allocation and they will uh, sign into any very, very inefficient project that comes their way because they think this is, and they will get maybe a free trip abroad. Right, and something as small and petty as that might be a determining feature in signing on to. Uh, and and by the way, the, if I if I am to point out any inadequacies or you know not corrupt practices, but uh, but uh, let's say if what I would consider to be uh, um, irresponsible 
uh, behavior on part of our bureaucrats, it is magnified when it comes to the donors themselves. Because the donors, as I said, as someone who worked very hard on trying to harmonize it and trying to take care of the fragmented donor approach, have no intention of changing that because it benefits. You see, there's a whole, there's a whole economy running on it, Nadeem, and you know this better than you know, having served at the IMF. There are these whole sec lot of second and third tier consultants roaming around in the world who will be unemployed if there were no donor money to be taken, right? So until unless the country is to be very firm, a recipient country is to be very firm in stepping in and saying that, listen, we need assistance only for these things. And most of it, we would want budgetary grant assistance or budgetary loan assistance. Other than that, why budgetary loan assistance or grant assistance? Because it feeds into projects which are prioritized by the government of Pakistan, by the people of Pakistan, by the parliament of Pakistan, through the government system, right? Instead of making a simultaneous system. And other than that, all your projects, such as feeding girl children in Tata, which sounds very nice in Congress, but will only be a three-month project. And what happens to the same girl children after your project runs its life, which is probably three months to two years, right? So there has to be sustainability in all of this. So uh, until unless the government really steps in and says that this, these are our terms, and you can only go according to these terms. Other than that, thanks, but we don't need your money. We try to do that in EIT. And we felt as much resistance from the donors as we did from our own line ministries who were quite keen to get, as I said, any type of money. So this really needs to be changed at, I would say, um, when I say the top level, what I mean is all of government approach is required. And as you know, the, our bureaucratic system, the way our ministries run is so um, uh, broken, literally, that's the only way to, uh, that's the only word to use because now sitting in PAC, uh, having been out of parliament for five years, I come across exactly the same issues being you know, going round and round in circles, begging the secretaries to do their DSCs, which they will not do and will appear to in front of PSCs without any homework. So this is a typical, you know, warm bodying approach. Um, I, I, it's, it's until unless more changes and unless government puts its foot down, do not expect the donor money to be a useful, um, you know, I, I don't think any change is possible. Okay, here let me bring in Fahim Jahangir, one of our young students who's done well, now young uh, professional. Fahim has done a um, thesis on foreign aid and he was the organizer of the last few discussions. Fahim, can you quickly give the minister a rundown of what we've learned so far so that she can respond to that? Fahim, unmute. Can, can you hear me, sir? Yeah, and yeah. quick, quick, we don't want long things, okay? Fahim, where are you? Okay, so, yes. Uh, yes, can you see the screen now? We can see the screen, go on. I've already okay, shown so, Yeah, so this is the, uh, basically the GDP growth trend of Pakistan. Okay, so this is the history of IMF lending to Pakistan. This is the foreign economic assistance to Pakistan uh, during the last decade. Uh, so if you see China is the leading bilateral donor, and then the World Bank, ADP, and Islamic Development Bank are the leading multilateral donors. Uh, this is the USAID economic assistance to Pakistan. Uh, if you see there, then we have uh, three peak periods. 
uh, when we were getting uh, a lot of, of uh, amount of aid in Pakistan during the Cold War period, then the Soviet Afghan period, and then after the post 9/11 uh, period. come to the uh, webinars. Come to the webinars. Basically, uh, this is this is from my webinar. good. Okay, so as uh, uh, the honourable uh, speaker was mentioning about the large aid industry in Pakistan, so my thesis shows that uh, there are a huge number of uh, uh, multilateral, bilateral donors, international NGOs, uh, and then uh, civil society organisations, and on the recipient end. There are uh, uh, ministries and divisions at the federal ministry level, federal level, and then at the provincial level. And apart from that, there are other number of uh, actors involved uh, in managing the aid industry. Uh, these include the bureaucracy, consultants, uh, and think tanks, political groups, and things like that. To map the aid uh, network in Pakistan, I came up with uh, nine groups of uh, actors in the aid policy network in Pakistan, uh, which include provincial government, bilateral donors, multilateral, external interest groups, uh, domestic interest groups, and others so on. And then I have actually uh, did the resource in a dependency analysis and found that uh, uh, the World Bank, the politicians in power and Ministry of Finance, they are the key actors uh, managing uh, the aid policy network in Pakistan. Uh, again, the Honorable Speaker was talking about uh, the aid fragmentation, multiplicity. So this is the graph uh, which shows that the donors' activities in Pakistan uh, by government and the private channels in 2018. So if yeah, you see, see that, uh, yeah, if you see that, uh, then uh, you will see that uh, donors very much like- Large to, number of donors and small projects. So let's stop yes. here. Let's get the minister's response. Hena, what do you say? We've got so many actors, we are overwhelmed. And they are, they are using very small amounts of money to control us. Do we, are we independent? Go ahead. Look, I, I won't say it, are we independent? Yes, we are independent if you choose to be independent. And I completely disagree with blaming the donors for the mess that is in Pakistan, because Pakistan has the option to say no. Do not forget that Pakistan has the option to say no. Pakistan should say no to all of this proliferation of small aid projects being distributed through contractors and you know, agencies and some gov non-governmental organizations are very good and some are just literally made in office and feed on uh, donor money, which by the way, we all do know that the priorities are sort of set not in Pakistan, but in their capitals abroad, right? Now, what is to say that Pakistan is even uh, able to receive that type of, you know, that those uh, projects are a priority for Pakistan in the first place, they might be a priority 10 years later, or could have been a priority 10 years back, but a country must have control over what is going inside it. What type of projects are being implemented? Who are the implementing agencies? If you have no control over it, you are in really messy water because rather than sorting out things, the same proliferation of donors and donor projects, sometimes literally $100,000 each, hmm. okay, will actually gnaw at your system. It will keep your education system from reforming because a lot of people, a lot of people would believe that oh, that one project happening in that one little corner of Pakistan is going to transform Pakistan. You get these wrong notions. Look, a lot of countries have had the capacity to say no, right? Uh, I genuinely believe, as, as I say repeatedly, as someone who worked on it and failed, I completely accept the fact that it is there's no way, there was no way to manage because all of these embassies and uh, donors 
um, have interests which are really deep-rooted, okay? And while we love to talk about the wrongs that our bureaucrats do, many of these, uh, this aid is distributed on people that the, you know, embassy people know, uh, meaning the small grants are pretty much uh, go to, uh, you know, someone who has an NGO or not, um, etc. So you can take control if you're willing to take control, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, it's absolutely possible to take it. all of this proliferation is doing nothing for the poor of Pakistan. And the team, they came. I remember as a child looking towards the UN as if it was this God's gift to earth and an agent and an entity which is going to give, you know, which gives free health and free education. And you grow up and you are appointed Minister of State for Economic Affairs Division. And you find out, well, most of the money that the UN spends on Pakistan is the money that Pakistan gives to the UN, right? And then maybe 10 to 15 to 30% of that is actually spent on the Pakistani poor. The rest of it, I would say close to 10%. I mean, there are different analysis on it, right? The rest of it goes to contractors abroad, to consultants abroad, some consultants in Pakistan, and lots of heavy cost of machinery, offices, cars, jeeps, uh, you know, establishment costs. Is this how you want to run this country? I would say an overwhelming no to that, right? That you say, thank you, but no thanks. You have priorities. You want to go help, do charitable work. Please do it in a country, but not Pakistan, because Pakistan would like to do its own charitable work. And Pakistan has these options. For instance, you know, in, in our time, we said, Dekhe, there's BISP, Benazir Income Support Program. You want to help the poor? This is the best vehicle to help the poor. Go and put it. And by the way, you were referencing to that um, conversation with Richard Holbrook. I remember how that conversation started because Richard Holbrook in the Friends of Development Pakistan, I think that's what it's called, yeah? You even forget what it's called. Friends of Development Pakistan Forum, which was in Istanbul, decided to tell all of us that, oh, Pakistan doesn't know what, and I'm, I later became a pretty good big fan of Richard Holbrook because he was able to deliver. He wouldn't make a promise, but once he made a promise, he was able to deliver on it. So he told us that we don't know what we want. And I told him clearly and categorically that Pakistan has categorically told you what they want. We want trade access and not assistance and aid. If you can give us trade access, please let us know. If you can't, then don't tell us we don't know what we want. Okay. Now, they were unable to do it because of congressional control and who had the Congress, who had the Senate and all of those types of nice things. So we told them, okay, now if you can't do that, then we would like you to put the entire bundle of your money in a big transformational project, such as the, uh, such as a big hydro project. Okay. And they were trying to work on it, but some of the money we were able to get, I think 200 million to 500 million dollars specifically for Benazir Income Support Program. Now that is what you want to do. You want to create your own programs and then tell the donors, this is your only option. Okay, these four or five are our flagship programs. This is the only option. You want to assist Pakistan, help the poor. This is the vehicle to go. Now, if you want to do your own little thing in uh, trying to appease your conscience, please go do it in some other country. Uh, leave us uh, out of this because this doesn't really translate to the poor of, uh, of Pakistan. Mm -hmm. But one question that I have is, uh, when we have, for example, cars or toothpaste or bulbs, if China throws in, or any country for that matter, let me not take any specific example, any country throws in cheap bulbs that outcompete our industry and are shown to be below cost, WTOP defines it as dumping. Yeah. Now, would you agree with me that the Pakistani universities are competing with Chemonix and with Adam Smith International and with Oxford Policy, all these groups, these consulting groups, 
that really have no other job except to work for donors. They really don't compete in the marketplace. They don't work in the marketplace, but they have this. And they come with money. Their consultants come at two, $3,000 a day. And our university professors can't even command $100 a day. They are being discriminated against in their own country. Would you regard that as dumping? I mean, this is something that I went to the competition commission and I said, hey, is this is dumping. Now, is that dumping or would you disagree with that? No, obviously, uh, I, you know, I would call it dumping if the quality of those bulbs is very good. Since the quality is even worse than our own, it's something even worse than dumping, I would say. You understand what I'm saying, right? Because I, uh, many, because you see EAT walls, the Ministry of Finance walls, the Ministry of Planning Commission walls are filled, and you know this, with donor uh, consult consultancy projects to tell us how to reform Pakistan in the energy sector, in the health sector, in the education sector. Now, how much of that transformation has happened? And first of all, how informed has have those uh, studies been in the first place, right? My experience has been that I'm, if you were to tell me, Kiji, you tell me one big, big, you know, great consultant that you came across that really changed your mind as a minister. I, frankly speaking, can't even name one. If you tell me, name five bureaucrats, five, uh, you know, Pakistani professors, I can name you 10. Okay, so what I'm saying is that because they are aware of the surroundings, right? They're not coming in and transporting their fancy ideas and transposing them on Pakistan or imposing them on Pakistan. It is, it is actually worse to be paying because uh, Nadeem, they can't, there is one within the project cost of consultancy, right? And you also know that there's this whole, uh, now I'm forgetting the nomenclature that we use for this, but it, it used to be called technical assistance or something, TAs, right? Uh, technical assistance of 10, 10 million dollars. And where does all of that money go? Now, these are, this is big money. For a country like Pakistan, this is all big money. And uh, then there's also the commitment charges, as you may you know, and you do know, I know, that for instance, if Pakistan were to commit to borrow 500 million dollars of IDA money, which is World Bank money, concessional money, and then you, because that project never has a buy-in in your own ministries, and because the Ministry of Finance imposed it on the uh, executing agencies, are never able to implement it. Tons of ADB project in the uh, road structure, in the road facilities, in the energy sector are lying unattended and Pakistan continues to not utilize the money and pay tens of millions of dollars in commitment charges. But do any one of us have the time to really look into it and raise that? Now I know when we, I was at AAD, that's why I think, you know, I'm very proud of calling this a failure because I worked very hard. Okay, we would do weekly meetings with executing agencies to try and sort the mess out. But believe me, there's no sorting out the mess because there's such deep-rooted interest. And because none of the parties involved are willing to or keen to. So it became almost a solo flight, right? And which you can never do. I mean, it has to be an all of government and all of, you know, it has to be a very, very serious group, at least, uh, effort, which has to be. You, you also know the issues that continue to persist within the Ministry of Finance, debt management wing, and the EAD debt management wing and your own planning, you know, where you used to work, planning commission. And, and everybody has a ch chunk of responsibility and nobody's able to get the bigger picture. Uh, the only entity which could perhaps get the bigger picture is the Ministry of Finance, but who in the world in the Ministry of Finance has the time to? I mean, the Ministry of Finance is perhaps the worst run ministry mm -hmm. I have ever had the experience to come across. It's like a black hole you keep on putting in work and whatever else, but nothing will ever come out of it. Um, so it's, it's all structural, it's problematic. And I can say, and that's why I, I hate to waste my 
time for anything which I think cannot be done. And I agree to your this discussion because I think it's academic and informed. Uh, and and my but my assessment is until you take a policy decision at the country level, literally at the country level, at beyond even the cap by, by by beyond the cabinet level, I mean you take a firm decision. You actually take a legal course, right, and say that we are not donors are only allowed to go through government agencies into government-owned projects. We are not here. Our doors are not open for foreign consultants to come and tell us what to do. We will, you know, as ministries have. Uh, projects which are approved. Up, okay, another interesting thing would be if we look at the percentage of ethnic approved projects which are actually donor sponsored. My assessment would be close to 75% would have one portion of donor assistance or the other, which is not a good thing. A portion. So it's not like they're uh, financing 70% uh, of your ethnic projects. It's just that they are unfortunately um, having a say which is bigger than the money that they're putting on the table. Hmm. Hmm. Look, uh, uh, Karachi just happened, the floods, and immediately as Karachi happened, the World Bank turned up with a report that, that, that they had done in 2016. I looked at the report and there were about 50 World Bank staff working on it. Mm -hmm. There were about 10 foreign consultants working on it. So a quick calculation, I may be wrong by a small margin, but by not, that report cost $5 million. Now, the World Bank has $5 million to spend. Shall I tell you what the budget of an average university in Pakistan is less than $5 million. So, I mean, how can we compete with that? But let me come to another question. Let's, let's look at the response. I agree with you. The fault here, Brutus, is in us and not in our stars or not in the donors. Yes, it's in us. But let me ask you a question. Now, when the Planning Commission prepares a plan, our system is Planning Commission has to prepare yeah. a plan. Yeah. That's a five-year plan, and we must commit to the five-year plan, and everybody must work in a coordinated manner. So in a sense, Planning Commission is a coordinated ministry, and we've kind of forgotten that. But I notice when the Planning Commission makes a plan, donors make what they call country partnership strategies, which are totally different from those plans, and they never feel the need to coordinate the two. Now, my question to you is, should EAD even exist, or should the Planning Commission be managing the donors so that the plans must be coordinated and the donors should not have the ability to make their country assistance plans which are like parallels to the to the plans of the government. Would you agree with that? Okay, so Nadeem over here, uh, we are differing on our approach to the problem, right? Because you believe that it is the, and I know this has been a long stated position, that it is the presence of EAD, which is making the donors make their country assistance strategy or country assistance plans. Let me allow, you know, allow me to completely disagree with you and say that you can turn the EAD upside down, you can turn the planning commission upside down, and you can turn the finance uh, ministry to block lie right and left. The donor country assistance strategy paper will continue to hold. Okay? Mm -hmm. Because this is how much in-depth, uh, you know, roots do, does, you know, do, do these entities have in your country? They, they've been given a buy-in, they've been given space which is larger than the money they put on the table. And the money, to me, is largely useless because it creates more problems than the problems it solves, right? And, uh, and, and obviously not all of it, okay? China, no matter what we say about it, has big transformational projects. You know, you have the motorways, the highways, some hydro project to show for it. It's not now, the other donors, the European donors typically want to appease their conscience and come up with these health and education strategy. But will it be their health strategy, education strategy, will it be the government of Pakistan, health and government strategy? Uh, so who has to put their foot down the government of Pakistan? 
GOP in whole, not the EAD, not the Planning Commission, GOP in whole. And yes, I completely agree. I'm not going to say subsume the EAD or subsume the Planning Commission, but between these three ministries, not only two, but three, because you see the IMF is managed by Ministry of Finance, okay? And EAD, as I said, is more of a post office than anything else, because if there's a minister who's interested, they'll probably do these, uh, you know, coordination meetings and try and get some of the fragmentation away and look at the, how much execution is doing that, being done, etc., and how much commitment charges. If not, then nobody's looking, by the way. I mean, very few, and if the, of course, the secretary, if he is, and so eventually the reconfiguration of the civil services of Pakistan, and more importantly, the government of Pakistan and how it runs its business, how inefficiently, how poorly it runs its business, has to be the thing which needs to be looked at. So all of these, what we call economic ministries, there's, there's perhaps room to subsume all of them into one, right? So that they're all working under one umbrella. And uh, uh, but then even more importantly, you have to have the power or give someone the power to say no, because it shouldn't be that one door they knock says no, uh, and then there are 10 other doors that they can knock, right? Hmm. And I said, because, because as I said, because their interests within Pakistan, outside of Pakistan, are very, very petty interests of people who make money off the, do you know, off the donor money. Um, as I said, I'm not even talking about any corrupt practices over here. I'm just talking about regular benefiting from just uh, excesses that come with the $5 million, as you mentioned. And I, I, I think it's not only unfair to the, uh, the universities, it's also unfair to the bureaucrats. And you know that then we have this parallel system where the bureaucrats are also the executing, you know, uh, people for, the, for some projects. And on that, they'll get a handsome salary, which is going to be 10 times their normal salary. So everybody wants, wants to run and have a small office on the side. This is all, this all creates uh, excesses. It creates inefficiency. It creates just very, very wrong economic incentives. And it creates incentives to do wrong. And this business has gone on for a long time. And my, my expressed view is it will continue to go on for as long as you and I live, simply for the reason that the interests are far too deep and that no one in Pakistan will have the gut or, or will have the patience because this type of work requires a lot of patience, a lot of serious work to actually say and that, you know, this type of proliferation of, in, of uh, assistance and this small minute assistance in this project and the other is not really useful for us. We can do without it. Fair enough. I agree with you that we can't outpace globalization. We have to live with it. And yes, these agencies of globalization are going to carve out space from us and we have to figure out how to handle it. Now, having said that, if I go back and look at the evaluations of donors, which I have, I've looked at the World Bank evaluation, their own evaluations, not ours, their own evaluations. They have an evaluation department and they do evaluations, the IMF does evaluations, the ADB does evaluations, USA, different, everybody has evaluation, they're available on the website. When I look at them, I find that uh, they themselves recognize the shortcomings, except that the evaluation happens and it dies. But they are not transparent. They will not tell you, no matter what you do, I've tried to dig it out. They will not tell you two or three things. A, they will not tell you who their contractors were and what monies they got. For example, they will not tell you what Kimonix got. For example, Kimonix in Lahore is a project that I know of, which is $100 million. I bet no ministry has $100 million in Pakistan. These guys have $100 million to spend. But in any case, so they are non-transparent in terms of the projects that they have financed and who their partners are. 
they're also non-transparent in other things. How much money they lend to each other. For example, DFID gives a grant from our money to the UNDP and the World Bank. They've got grants across each other. So they're totally non-transparent. Now, my question to you is, yes, these practices exist. But now I come to you as an MNA. You, the parliament, has the responsibility, the constitutional responsibility of money is yours. You are supposed to be the money custodians of the country. It's your job to see what happens to our money. It's your job to tell us how to tax us, etc. right? Why is there no parliamentary committee on aid? And why does parliament not look at aid? Okay, uh, so this is the lovely part about Pakistan, right? Because you have the constitution and you have the rules of business and they give responsibility to someone and then you have how things are actually done, right? Parliament in this particular setup, in this particular setup, has zero control over what laws even, not zero, I think that would be a mistake to say, but uh, did you see how this finance bill uh, went through parliament? Uh, there is absolutely no interaction, there's no negotiation, there's no looking at what should be the priorities, what should not be. I happen to be in the finance committee, the parliamentary committee on finance, and we've been screaming, shouting, not once, not once has the advisor to Prime Minister on Finance showed up in that parliamentary committee. Not once. This is what the role of parliament has been uh, sidelined to in this. Because nobody gives a, you know, if I may use the word damn, because they think, uh, you know, they, they can happily do without it. The Prime Minister sets the precedence of not taking parliament seriously. His ministers happily follow it. His members follow it even more. Uh, most of the bills that have been uh, passed in Parliament have been bulldozed. Uh, the ones have been bulldozed and been rejected by the Senate have had to be passed through the joint. I have never experienced as many joint sittings of Parliament as I have in this one because each of those bills get rejected in the joint, in the Senate and then they have to come back. So uh, the interesting part about uh, the budget making process itself is entirely flawed. And you know, uh, Fahim, Apne, you made that um, sort of interesting matrix and in the middle you have the third player as the politician uh, in power. Uh, the politician in power does what the finance ministry feeds him, period. You take any politician and you can change the names. Uh, you take them for the last 60 years, uh, they will do as the uh, Ministry of Finance feeds it. The Ministry of Finance has an exorbitant, overwhelming, absolutely bigger, larger than life, undeserved role in how this country runs, at least at the federal level. They don't deserve it. They don't take the responsibility for it. And they absolutely do not. They have an ability and a commitment never to apply their mind to anything that comes to the table. The rule is 50% uh, off any project that comes. And, uh, you, you know, look at your uh, funding in PSTP. You'll have a proliferation of, you know, tens of thousands of projects. And where you need 30 billion, you will allocate 3 million. And you expect this country to run efficiently. Uh, you go and you announce projects worth tens of billions uh, in uh, Karachi and uh, actually more than your entire PSDP amount, right? And then re recently, yesterday, I was hearing that there's some allocation of billions of rupees for a zoo in Islamabad. And I was wondering, where is this all notional money? So, you know, we are, we, we are, our governance structure has become such that we continue to make these broad prioritizations. And I think in the, in the beginning of your session, you mentioned that Pakistan it's not really a problem of money. Uh, I, uh, I, I agree with you. And you said that it's a problem of policy, I believe, right? And I would go even a step further and say it's a problem of prioritization because you make 
Hmm. At least something should be your priority, right? Let's deliver every five years a big win for Pakistan. You cannot do that until you prioritize in a resource-starved country. So if, for instance, you were to ask me what is the priority of this government, I would say, I honestly don't know. If you were to ask me what was the priority of Pakistan People's Party government, I can tell you. Uh, this was a major. We did not comp you know, compromise on that. That was a major. And, uh, you know, uh, what we consider to be brightening, you know, uh, fixing many, many wrongs. PMLN government, maybe you can say roads. And our priority was irrigation systems. So there, there's certain areas. If you ask me what is this government's priority, I honestly don't know. Because everything and nothing seems to When everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority. So really, I genuinely believe uh, no one, the donors don't have it as easy in any other country as they have it in Pakistan because mm -hmm. of our broken systems. Mm -hmm. And we are uh, just, I, I think the, the role of the Ministry of Finance has a huge role to play in how the system continues to be broken because everything is, you know, uh, basically put at their door and their door <laughs> is too busy and uh, people, I guess, not interested in fixing anything. Hmm. Well, I take your I take point that parliament is unnecessary and I take your point that um, the budget process is broken, etc. But look, it was the politicians who broke the budget process through the 14th Amendment. 14th Amendment was a huge problem when you forced everybody to vote according to party lines. And fortunately, you know, kind of 14th Amendment really killed that. But the, so that you can respond to. Do you want to respond to that? Didn't the 14th Amendment? Well, I do want to respond to it because you and I never, never agree on the politics of things, right? And uh, the, 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 the deal is that it's not the 14th, it's not about us not vote, voting against, to, uh, you know, according to our conscience. I mean, those of us who do read the documents and, you know, this time I found out the Ministry of Finance had itself not read the documents. How is that for you? We had documents, we had the pink book, which had pages, 20% of the pages were empty. 20% of the ministries, they had not even told us what the allocation was for this year or the previous year. Now tell me, how do you as a parliamentarian deal with this, these large information gaps and miscommunication, misrepresentation, and, and really being mistold on the floor of the house. The, how do you fix the system? Not by being having the ability to vote according to my conscience, but really about ensuring that you are able to empower the parliamentary system. And the parliamentary system is empowered through the committee system. I'm telling you the state of the committee system. This committee system, the minister has not bothered to come even once. I have walked out of meetings. And now I've realized there's no need to walk out of meetings because this is the way it is. Now I've stopped attending them half the time because it's completely a useless exercise. Now the public accounts committee meetings, which are so important where every principal accounting officer has to be here. We find out that every time there, even those that come that do show up have little or no information about the briefs that are in front of us. Okay. So everybody's attending meetings in the prime minister house, in the parliament, here, then everywhere. Nobody's doing their job. They're just busy attending meetings and you have experienced government. You know what I'm talking about. Nobody has the time to really sit and make policy and implement policy. So, you know, God forbid, if you have ever have to, um, you know, let me bring in, let me bring in somebody from the floor. We've got, uh, Sultan Mahmoud, uh, from Paris, a co-author of Piketty. So let's see what Sultan Saab has to say. Sultan Saab, go ahead. Hi. Uh, hi. Thanks a lot for allowing me to speak. No, I just, yeah, it's a fascinating discussion. I just wanted to, as a, as a researcher who looks at this, not really from the most, what is the most 
beneficial perspective for Pakistan or any other country, but who just wants to understand the foreign aid process. Mm-hmm. I often really struggle in not knowing anything about foreign aid in Pakistan, especially the non-project-based aid. So yes, you have talked about a lot of project-based aid of the World Bank, but I'm thinking, for example, when we look in, when India used to get aid, we, what we look is that we know how much was spent in which district on what. And in Pakistan, uh, for example, where is the money going? So what, what we have to rely on is some time series analysis of over time, aid is increasing and over time, GDP is increasing or decreasing, and we really don't know where is how much aid is spent in a particular region, whether we want to see. And even if, for example, we can look at a lot of things, but yeah, so could you maybe just clarify? Data availability. Where does the collision support fund go? What is the process like when it is transferred to the Ministry of Finance? And then where does it go? How is it allocated? Just to understand the process. So the processes are very different. Why we are more concerned about the projectized assistance is simply because it is not budgeted within the Pakistani priorities of, you know, so when, you know, how the team said when the parliament makes a budget and you put on all of these projects that you want to be financed for a ministry. Uh, this is mostly outside of that. Okay. This is according to allocations, which the donors want to make according to priorities, which are set in their capitals, whether it happens to be London, Brussels, uh, you know, DC, uh, Beijing, wherever. I'm Beijing, not so much. In Beijing, no, because Beijing does work with us. Now, what you are referring to is probably budgetary assistance, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that is for a country. Uh, it should be, I'm proposing, and I did, you know, work very hard to try and make sure that all assistance that comes into Pakistan comes through budgetary assistance, which means that the parliament of Pakistan, the people of Pakistan, the country of Pakistan, the ministries of Pakistan set their priorities and say these are the projects that we want to be financed this particular year over the next five years. And then if you as a donor want to assist us in education, you pick one of those projects to put in your money, right? So for instance, Bainese Income Support Program is a very, very good example of this. Uh, government said it's its responsibility to ensure that the lowest, the poorest of the poor are taken care of by the state. This is our welfare program. Now donors come, this is the only place you can park your money, right? Mm-hmm. So that then you will be able to see through allocations which are made under the BISC head. Okay. Now there should be in the Ministry of EAD records, which are also public, probably in the economic survey, I am able to find those things because I've been looking at it, you know, long enough. Uh, You can find uh, which donor, or perhaps not the bilateral donors, but at least the ADB, um, you know, uh, this should be public information, the Asian Development Bank and the World Bank, as to which budgetary programs have they financed or assisted us with. A lot of these very small uh, donor countries, which are coming in with an aid of $10 million per annum, $5 million per annum, just use it to gratify and to uh, give favors and to appease their functions. Okay. I think it has zero impact that paltry money altogether doesn't even come to $150 million. They create a lot of noise, a lot of sound, a lot of fury, a lot of, you know, fragmentation, a lot of just having to do unnecessary, ridiculous meetings. So I genuinely believe that there should be an absolute end to it. I tried to in my capacity as minister and I failed. Uh, because, you know, uh, there is, because there's always this thing, okay, why do you want to leave charity? Why grant assistance, sorry, it's free money, take it. No, I would take it if it's free money, if it's going to the poor of Pakistan, right? But if it's filling in consultancies and, you know, filling in fancy offices in Islamabad, blue area, that's not what assistance, why should I... Uh, 
you know, take the burden because there is a burden of assistance. Now, Pakistan, typically mm. we keep on talking about foreign independent country, Pakistan is a beggar, Pakistan beggar bowl in hand, etc. Now, IMF though, it becomes your majburi and Nadeem, I think the biggest problem because I, you, what you talked about, so I think I answered your question and I just want to say because what you talked about, why is it, I, I genuinely believe we need to ask ourselves a question that why is it that Pakistan is unable to get out of the fold of IMF programs? And why is it that every IMF program that we get into gets us right back there within a year? Literally, I mean, the last two decades, it's not been more than two years, even a year and a half. And the reason for that is that even IMF programs, and I know you've been, uh, you know, you, you've worked at the fund, uh, are in some ways policies that then never apply to the, to the board of director countries. Who in the U.S. applied what they applied to Pakistan in terms of frugality and, you know, uh, everything else? Uh, in the U.K., when coronavirus, you know, when, when COVID-19 hit, did they apply the same uh, criteria? No, none of them apply the same because these are not criteria which lead to growth and activity. And then, of course, in Pakistan, there's a very big problem of over-regulation that you mentioned right in the beginning, right? Because as, some, as someone who runs a very, very small business, reasonably small business, you know, uh, we have to go through 25 government agencies, some at the Punjab level, some at the uh, federal level. And what do we get back from those agencies? Not even proper power, not even proper energy, not even water. You have to take care of all of that as a business in Pakistan, all your needs yourself, and keep on feeding the agencies on, you know, various counts. So now none of this is rocket science. And you would have even more experience than I do, but I'm also fed up of listening to the same solutions for the last 15 years of my life. It's not about the solutions which more fancy World Bank, bank documents will give you. It's about implementing them and that has to be implemented in-house. One ministry, whichever ministry chooses to fix itself, it can. We fixed a lot of things in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, on the other hand. Okay, we had whatever gaps we had, we were able to fill in international law expert, in media expert, and, and uh, uh, because it's a bit of a standalone, it doesn't really come. So in the same way, if you have leadership, you can fill in the gaps uh, to a very, very large extent, but it has to be done in-house. No consultant, no matter how fancy a report they write, will be able to do it for you. Mm -hmm. No, I take your point, and quite frankly, we did two webinars with ex-staff, fund staff members, one with Masood Ahmed, the other with Adnan Mazrai, who used to lead missions to Pakistan. And we had very, very good extended conversations with them. And both of them admitted that there were program design flaws, as well as Pakistani ownership flaws. And quite yeah. frankly, unless you think for yourself, you can't own anything. If you want to do anything in the world, whether you want to run a business, play tennis, play uh, you know, hockey or whatever, you have to own the game and you have to work hard at it. We don't want to do that. But let me come to Ali Salman. He's the director of the Prime Institute, just returned from Malaysia with some fresh experience from Malaysia. Ali, go ahead. Thank you, uh, Dr. Nadeem. Uh, and thank you, uh, Hina Saba. Uh, it's, uh, I think, uh, a very uh, informative presentation um, from uh, um, our experienced uh, politician and parliamentarian. Uh, it's, it's, I think, uh, one of the occasions she said that um, uh, donors' influence have, uh, you know, has, has damaged the governance structure. So this is probably where you and uh, the like, broader agreement here. But just wanted to request a clarification. Um, and Hinab Saiba, you also said that um, uh, it's it's a 
you know, you would rather want all the aid uh, to flow through the government, uh, through the parliament oversight, um, through the budgetary support system, rather than otherwise. So my question is, is your criticism uh, is more on the channel of the aid, and 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 you're thinking that maybe the aid coming through, let's say, through the civil society and NGOs. Um, has done has been done more damage, or you are taking a principal position against uh, the aid uh, at, at, as such. So I, I appreciate the clarification uh, from your side. And also, while I'm here, uh, you know, if if there is a like a aid reform, let's say policy, what will be the two or three main messages which you like to share with this this audience? Thank you. Okay. So I'm going to start from the middle question, come to your last question, go back to your first question, because uh, so I don't forget. So the middle question was, uh, do I have a problem if I want, uh, if I'm saying that government, it should come through government channels, do you have a problem with uh, the quality? Uh, I have a problem with prioritization. I have a problem with not being able to determine for one government or for one people or for one parliament or for one country to be able to determine its own priorities on where the money must be spent, what should be starved and what should be Spent, right? Look, uh, you have any country has a whole list of things that you want to do. Now, if you think that right now energy is the major sector which needs all the attention within the infrastructure, but somebody else thinks no roads are more important or canals are more important, who should make that choice? The people of Pakistan, as represented by their selected government. In this case, I don't want it to be. By selected, I mean properly selected. I mean, they are not the, so, uh, and, and of course, uh, through the representation of parliament and through the parliamentary system to actually work. So I don't have a problem with the NGOs playing their role, but for that, an agency within Pakistan should be able to determine it, huh? as to that these are the projects that we want to uh, implement through non-governmental organizations. There should be a way to sift out the dirt from the really good ones. And then there should be some, agency which is looking at, okay, what is their tier? You know, is this tier 100 NGO or is this, so there is obviously a lot of um, literature which is also available that NGOs sprout up overnight, put up offices to be able to only get a certain type of assistance because they can do the office work, but the real people on the ground who are actually doing the work will not be able to have the fancy office and be able to do the intensive work that is required by the NGOs. In my experience in Muzaffar, I have seen that the real people who are actually who doing non-governmental organizations, which are actually working on the ground, do not have the expertise to get these fancy donor projects because they will not be able to do the paperwork that is required. But those with just one office and you know a collection of cars will be able to do it because their entire aim is to get the donor money and just sprout up just to get them. So I'm against those and very, very far, those that actually work. And there are many which work, which have done wonderful work. In Pakistan, most of them are local NGOs, not foreign. Now, the, sec the last question that you asked was about aid reform policy. Look, an aid reform policy has to start with the first principle, that is the prioritization of spending of money will be done by the GOP, by the government of Pakistan, by the people of Pakistan. No Switzerland and Norway and US and UK and, you know, literally every 53 countries will tell us how to spend our money. How do you ever manage that? It is, I, having experienced that, I can tell you there is no way to manage that. And now that takes me, okay, so aid reform policy will start with that, with the prioritization has to be set by government. So government decides mm -hmm. what projects need to be financed. Now, if you want to bring in your money, you are welcome to put it through one of those channels. 
if you are unable to, we are unable to appease you or appeal you with any of those channels, then please take your money somewhere else. Really, a strict, simple yes or no. Okay, and there is, of course, umpteen projects, whether you want to go project-wise or budgetary assistance-wise, that exist in every field that you can possibly imagine, whether it's water resource, whether it's health, whether it's education, whatever you want to do. There are umpteen options, okay? Now, you want to import an option from Oslo, not happening. It should not be allowed to happen, okay? So that is one. And to say anyone who's coming with less than $10 million of projectized assistance, thank you. But the cost of really managing that assistance is far more than the $10 million you bring, okay? So put a threshold, say okay, this much is required, uh, you know, this much and more will be, and all, whether it's bilateral or multilateral assistance must go through the channels which are articulated here. And this ministry, as I said, an umbrella approach uh, to go. Now, uh, so this was the last question. And the third was, uh, and the first question was donor influence governance structure. How, how does it impact, impact negatively your governance structure? Look, what you have done is, or what you do is create a parallel governance structure, which each one of your people who are working in ministries have no incentive to work hard within the ministries, but have mm -hmm. an incentive to latch on to a government donor-led project, which will pay them much more handsomely and will have much less uh, accountability. Okay, these two things are there. I can assure you of that. Much less accountability because many of those donor projects literally are standalone entities. You know, EAD would not know what's happening. The executing agency would have just have implanted some one of their grade 19, 20 bureaucrat who is getting a healthy salary and driving a great Jeep, which they otherwise will not be able to do, and happily ensuring that the project never ends for the time that he's a bureaucrat. So this is what, this is a parallel governance structure. It keeps your own government structures from, from becoming empowered and from becoming efficient. Fascinating. Thank you. Look, I agree with you entirely that we've created a parallel government, and that is why I claim that we haven't got independence. But what worries me is that politicians hold APCs and do all kinds of things. We have seen your manifestos, and we have never seen your ideas, now I don't, not talking about you specifically, but about the politicians, that their ideas on aid. And I keep hearing this term, which is very disturbing to me as a Pakistani, very disturbing to me as a Pakistani, that CPEC is a game changer. I don't want some outsider to change my game. My father couldn't change my game. Why can't I change my own game? And here I relate this, to, our research has shown, madam, that not our research, sorry, the world has changed. In the last 40 years, there have been about 10 Nobel Prizes awarded, another one is going to be awarded to say that we need to move on. Development is not projects, development is institutions, development is changing rules, development is changing laws, development is changing the way you work, development is innovation, entrepreneurship. We are still stuck with what we call the Huck Hag model, Huck as in my bubble Huck and Hag as in Harvard Advisory Group. They gave us this model where we think projects and we are still yeah. thinking projects. Mm -hmm. And the donors have taken over our policy work. They made NEPRA, they made CCP, they made SECP. We don't <laughs> own those things. So my question to you returning to this is that somehow this question has to be handled. You also acknowledge that it is leadership. Now, when are our political leaders going to wake up to this reality or are they just happy, happy to go to the UNGA and make an, a, a speech and come back? Okay, um, first of all, I would, uh, I would say that the business of trying to uh, malign uh, a 
politicians is one that we all grew up in. It's an environment that we inherited that was taught to us, right? And it's great business, okay? Because okay. those are, of course, the people who have you okay. know, really um, done the damage to the institutions and everything else to the country. I disagree with that, right? I, I believe that politicians have never really been able to have the rightful space. As someone who worked, you know, reasonably hard, if not very hard, I uh, am very proud to say that I worked harder in my ministries than I have in my own business, okay? Uh, I was, uh, and, and as I said, in one of the ministries, I'm very happy with the results. In the other, I think I wasted a lot of hours that I could have spent having, you know, doing something uh, less, it wasn't boring, but so the, 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 the thing is that I completely, I could not agree with you more that this projectized way of looking at development uh, is actually something which keeps us away from really being able to uh, achieve you know, to, to, to sort out the mess and enabler, right? You want government, you want country to have institutions which are all together. The institutions are enablers for growth. Mm -hmm. You can't make growth, you have to enable growth. And the growth has to come from the private sector. Now, if you look at the regulatory environment, um, that is not an enabler in the first place. So some of the policy work really needs to be done. But Nadeem, believe me when I say this, and I think you should be able to believe me because you worked in that environment. Do you realize how the, 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 the prime minister and cabinet is typically so, be, you know, uh, fed and completely dependent on the views of the Ministry of Finance? I'm not even going to say other ministries. Okay. So for me, the game changer is to, is reform at the Ministry of Finance. Okay. Because they have all the in some ways responsibility or the power uh, and none of the ability to be able to deliver on that. And what that does is that you have this, it's almost like a, 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 a you know, the, the last days of the Raj where you have an entity which is, you know, supreme, etc., but has no power, no, no way to deliver that, you know, what is expected of it. So, uh, you know, which, uh, many a times I've been asked the question that, what do you think is one thing that you would do in Pakistan if you were ever to get a chance? And I say, well, it's not something that is going to sound very spicy and interesting. It's reform at the government processes. The way we, the business of running government, the PEPRA rules for heaven's sake, you know, those are archaic. They keep you from actually delivering on the projects. But yes, we will all happily sit in packs and, you know, uh, swear by them again and again and again. So reform needs to be done at, and this cannot be done by consultants. It can only be done within the ministry, because there are 50 to 50 ratio of really competent bureaucrats to really incompetent ones. But those 50% of the competent bureaucrats know what needs to be fixed. Okay, so reform at the, at the, at the governance level, at the government processes level, in the structural level, in how we do business, how government is able to implement any of its policy is what really needs it. And I can, could not agree with you more that all of these imported ideas which have been forced from Pakistan, without having a lot of, again, where, 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 where do you, which door do you be, not the Ministry of Finance. Guess who agreed to SECP reform? Guess who agreed to NEPRA and unbundling and all of this? And you know how long it's been since this unbundling uh, misnomer has been going on? 20 years. And have you achieved a better regulatory regime? Have you achieved a better energy? I would argue, no, we are light years behind rather than ahead, rather than ahead, than ahead, ahead. So, but, Government processes is what we really need to look at. Yeah. Point. Very good. Uh, you will be uh, to know that we are having PEPRA discussion tomorrow with Bakar oh. Masood Khan, 
who's going to tell us about Pepra. And I don't think there could be any better person to tell us about Pepra than him, but we'll take that up tomorrow. In closing, let me just quickly raise this with you and you can react to it as you like. I was just thinking of two or three things that I've read in this connection. Oh, one was Masuda Bano, who gave us a lovely talk. She's from uh, Oxford. She's written a book on uh, aid and a very good book. And she gave us this talk and she said, one of the problems with aid, and that kind of agrees with your thesis too, <clears throat> is that it, it, the money flow itself kind of distorts the incentives of social yes. entrepreneurship. So good NGO would just be so attracted by that money flow and by the log uh, form, the matrices, et cetera, that are given to it, that it loses its own purpose. So that's one thing. The other book that I want to quote to you is Dumbisi Moyo. Uh, she's a Senegalese economist who wrote a book about, I think, eight or nine years ago, maybe 10 years ago. It's called Dead Aid. And she talked about Africa. And she said that what happens is that the African leadership is beginning to look toward the donors as a constituency and not to their own people as a constituency. Therefore, it's kind of broken democracy in Africa. And then the final book that I'd like to quote to you is Tim Harford, who wrote a book called Messy. And he says that everything that human endeavor requires, whether it's innovation, entrepreneurship, develop, development, or whatever, requires your own mess. You can't live on somebody else's outline. If I want to play tennis, I can't just pick up a book and learn tennis without making my own mess. So I have to make my own mess. I can get ideas from wherever I can. The question is that here, unfortunately, the donors say we can't make our own mess. They'll give us best practice. And we have kind of lost agency in our parliament and we've kind of lost agency in our NGOs. So I go back to this, where do you, your last thoughts on, where do we begin to mend it? You've talked a lot about the MOF, et cetera, but let's go forward. I look to you, the reason I raise this question is you still have a future, unlike me who's gone, you still have a future. You will inshallah be back sometime or the other in, in a position of uh, responsibility. How would you approach this issue again? How do we seed some power for us? How do you get some power back and be able to influence our own destiny, make our own reform, make our own change? Right now we are still living with a colonial system, a bureaucracy, everything is colonial. And the donors came in as an outside agency, and I don't know how we are figuring it out. Yeah, I, I think it's it's less about, you know, to answer your question very clearly and very easily, it's less about, you know, how does the question of how do we take it back come when you decide not to give it in the first place? Right. Interesting question, right? Do not give it in the first place, is my answer to your question. And, you know, to, to basically say that exactly what I said in the last, so I don't want to repeat myself. The yeah. issue is that the rules of business that uh, that basically lead how any government agency works, by government agency, I mean their ministries, how policy is made, etc. Uh, the PEPRA rules that govern how a project is implemented in this country, uh, the, way we, the, the, the way we make important policy and how it is donor fed. Now, those government processes, Nadeem, is what needs to change. Okay, you know this in planning commission. Hmm. From the time that the project is conceived to the time that the first brick is laid, if I were to talk about projectized assistance or project, projects yeah, in, in, in so many words, five years would lapse. The need for that project doesn't even exist in five years, maybe, right? And then another 50 years will elapse before that project is completed. By that time, things would have moved light years ahead, right? So uh, government processes right now are exceptionally archaic. So that's why I say 
anyone who is serious about reform will first look at the rules of you know the rules of business of how government can procure how government makes policy who makes government policy which ministries interact as in how so we have the ecc which is great we have ecnic which is but ecnic you know that i mean what really happens in ecnic is ecnic really a body which uh, has a final say on project approval i will argue no i will argue it's just a rudimentary it's just a you know a body where projects which are already uh, pre selected go and you just look for a signature you just look for a vote of approval without really having any concrete discussion yes ecc slightly more so you know this is not rocket science there are governance structures all over the world you can look at structures that work even in our neighborhood sometimes sometimes a bit further away and adopt matlab the fact that we still stuck with pepra rules says a lot right the fact that we still sped with ministry of finance uh, breathing down the throat of implementing agencies to take on loans with conditionalities that they do not agree with says volumes of what is wrong right and believe me nadeem it almost wants makes me want to uh, spend little or no time in even arguing or discussing these things i come back to parliament after 5 years and guess what i find in every committee meeting and especially the standing committee on finance nothing has changed the problems remain the same the solutions that are presented about the problems remain the same the people who are presenting those solutions remain the same or largely the same uh, and nothing else has changed and the fate of the people of pakistan i guess also remains the same very good thank you very much i think this has been very informative discussion you've been very candid i appreciate that well you've always been candid even in office i remember in cabinet you were very candid in parliament you were very candid so inshallah we look forward to young politicians like yourself make your mark again uh, ladies and gentlemen i think you've seen this especially our students we need much more work from you you have to help our parliamentarians no use just blaming them we have to have much more research on these subjects we have to have many theses and papers written on aid and all all the things the rules of business and the rules of parliament monitoring these committees everything that's your job if we start doing our job each of us start doing our jobs where we sit students do the right theses we do the right papers we inform the people well we inform our politicians well we make this society if we cede the space to the donor that is wrong we must have our own research no matter how little it is we must begin to do it with that i thank you hinarabani khar i thank everybody for participating we look forward to hearing about the pepra rules tomorrow thank you hina we'll trouble you trouble you again on some of the topics soon all the best bye bye thank you thank you bye bye